And so, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth and the reflections of our hearts and minds together in these moments be pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So today we start a new sermon series that's going to cover a lot of our Sundays during September and October, seven of the next nine weeks. And we're going to be exploring um, the Psalms of Ascent in a series called Walking Together. And all our New Testament readings will be from the Gospels as well. As I was praying and thinking about what we might look at together over this term, a number of different ideas came and went, you know, as ideas do, but always I kept coming back to this group of psalms. We had a little look at them about 11 years ago, so if you're thinking this vaguely rings a bell, then it's not just you. Um, But I'm trusting the Spirit will guide and speak as we dig a bit deeper and explore them together over these next seven Sundays. And before we come to the readings that Jenny brought us today... Just a few words about the Psalms of Ascent. So we have the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, which is filled with songs and poems, with emotion and hope and trauma and struggle. There are 150 Psalms, and the Psalms of Ascent are a particular group of them, a distinct collection of 15 Psalms from 120 to 134. And these are songs that would have been used by God's people as they journeyed together up to the temple in Jerusalem as part of a group, a community on pilgrimage together, going up to God's sanctuary for one of the great festivals. Hence, ascent, they're going up. And so these are corporate, they're communal expressions of how the people felt as they came to God. They're songs that are shared by the whole community, families and friends, old and young, women and men, all journeying together, which is likely why they're relatively short compared to lots of other psalms, and why people still find their authenticity and wisdom helpful today. And you know, even the psalms which express and deal with some of the hard times and difficult emotions and decisions that we face as God's people, I think as you read this collection of psalms, the Psalms of Ascent, you can almost step right into the atmosphere of togetherness. There's an excitement, a solidarity, and a hope in these psalms. I imagine it, they're walking along this great caravan of people, and somebody starts singing one of them or chanting one of them, and gradually it ripples out until the whole line is singing it. I'm guessing they probably did some repeats, because by the time it got to the end, they'd have finished, so they have to start all over again. There's joy as they come together with one voice to sing about their God and the journey of worship that they are on. And so these psalms are the basis for our Sundays for a little while. And we've given these Sundays the title Walking Together, not just because that's literally almost certainly what they're doing as they sing them, or if they're not actually walking, they're sitting around the campfire in between the various days of walking, but because, more importantly, they capture something really important about how we live this life of faith together. Not only that, but these are people who are journeying together, which means they have not settled. They are journeying towards God. They are active. They are moving, just as we should be. Now, we don't literally all walk to Jerusalem regularly, 
or to Bethlehem, or to the Vatican, or to Canterbury, or even to the headquarters of the Baptist Union in Didcot. But together, we are each supposed to be moving forward, journeying towards God, adjusting, changing, learning, growing, creating, thinking, questioning, exploring, being willing to become more like Jesus. And that's not just about us as individuals. Perhaps it's not even mostly about us as individuals. But it's about us together. Are we becoming more like Jesus as a community, as a church? Is there work to be done to ensure that the whole world knows who Jesus is and how much love God has for them? What will we do with our one wild and precious life? What will we do and how will we do it? Because the kind of community we are and the way we do things matters too. It has long been a tradition and understanding in churches like ours that part of this community of faith means to walk together and watch over one another in ways known and to be made known. That feels very Psalms of Ascent to me. And I think we might have some fun unpacking it together. So you ready? Let's go. Psalm 133 then. It's an outpouring, it's an exclamation of delight, of the goodness that these pilgrims experience in being together as one family of God's people. How good it is when God's people live together in unity. It really is good. How good and pleasant it is, depending on your translation. And really, that's the message of the whole psalm. So don't worry if, like almost every other Christian who reads it, you get verse 1 and then don't understand what's going on with the oils, the beards, and the dew, and the mountains. That's okay. Because they are specific similes seeking to explain and expand on verse 1. So if you understood what verse 1 meant, you've got this psalm down already. You're an expert on Psalm 133. Oil would have been used as part of blessing ceremonies. We still anoint people with oil sometimes today. And together, united by their faith, it's such a blessing to them that it is like oil being poured on their head in such a generous way by God that it flows all the way down from the top of their head, through their beard, all over their clothes. There's oil everywhere. Resist the temptation to be wondering about how you're going to wash everything. It's an expression of the generous nature of God. It's so good to be together. It feels as heavy as the dew that falls on Mount Hermon. I'm assuming that's a mountain where the dew is particularly heavy, right? They're all about blessing flowing down, falling down, coming to you and me from God. Pouring oil on someone's head in this culture was also about hospitality and honouring your guests. And being united in this moment felt like good oil being poured on their head generously and liberally which is just so very like God, who has a big, generous and merciful heart and loves to bless. And so the psalm is a witness to the truth that God is at work building the community of God's people, the church, that at its best transcends all the given and created barriers that separate and divide and diminish life. In the words of the Pope just a few weeks ago, and God bless the Pope. 
There is room for everyone in the church, he said, including those who make mistakes, who fall and struggle. Everyone, everyone, everyone. But the psalm tells us that part of that everyone is that we should be together, that we should be united. Unity matters. There's lots in the New Testament about this too, particularly in the letters to the early church. There were all these new Christians coming together, working out what it means to follow Jesus, and they all disagree about just about everything, and the challenge is, how do we all stay in the room? They're all working it out as they go along. And I think it brings God joy when, as the church, and I'm talking church with a big C, big C is global, worldwide movement of God, small C, our church, local here, right? So when I say church with a big C, I'm talking big and broad and wide, we get this right. And it's why church with a small c, it matters that we get on with um, our other local churches. That's a good thing. I think it's pleasing to God. And thankfully, we do. We're grateful for our friends in our other churches around us. We have good relationships between the church leaders. It's probably the best it's ever been in the 12 years I've been here. And it's such a good thing. But friends, before we move on to Psalm 134, I want to be clear about something when we talk about unity. Unity, for unity's sake, is not what this is talking about. What we're united around matters too. In our Psalms of Ascent, the people are united by this journey that they're on, they're united by their faith and their desire to live faithfully as God's people. It ties them together. But you know, there can be a tendency to abuse the desire for unity, especially by those with privilege and power. And it is particularly easy to get away with it in faith communities where we say out loud we think unity is important. Our desire for unity does not, should not, cannot mean that we ignore bullying behaviour. And it cannot, should not, and does not mean that we throw the marginalised under the bus because we are uncomfortable about thinking through change. We cannot build unity on the backs of the powerless and marginalised in our churches or in our society. That is not honouring to God at all. There are times, and we see this clearly with the prophets in the Old Testament, and they're doing this for centuries, where the settled status quo needs to be challenged and injustice needs to be called out. We should feel uncomfortable sometimes. We should feel challenged. That isn't the opposite of being united. It's about making sure that the things we're united around are worth being united around. Our desire for unity should never be about quietening dissent or avoiding tough conversations. That is an abuse of the scripture. Sometimes the call of God on our lives, individually and together, is to rock the boat. Sometimes the call of God on our lives is to get in good trouble. We do it graciously, of course, but we do it all the same. Sometimes being an ally to those with less power and privilege in this world involves you having to take a hit and make a sacrifice yourself, too. Unity cannot be built on our prejudice and other people's pain. Or else nothing else in this world changes. Nothing improves. Nothing gets better. There's plenty in our world, in our community, that needs to change. Not least the scarily large number of people 
who lived their lives convinced that if there was a God, God would not want to know or love them. That has to change. And so we walk softly, but we carry a big stick. Which leads us nicely to Psalm 134. Well, not so much the big stick, but the idea of blessing. Psalm 134 is actually the very last psalm in the collection. We're not looking at them in order, obviously, but it is the shortest. And it starts with an invitation, a summons even, to bless the Lord, to praise God, to lift up our hands, to offer our whole bodies, all that we are, to God in worship. And it ends up with a blessing upon us, which sort of sums up the whole purpose of the journey to the temple. They go to bless and praise God in the hope and expectation that God will bless them as they return to their lives. Part of what's being expressed here is that God is the source of all blessing. God is the one who can and does bless us. God is the one with the power to create and sustain life. God is the source. And so we see all these parts of the nature and character of God most clearly in Jesus. And in helping us try and understand who Jesus is, the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians, he himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn. He holds everything together. We are safe in the palm of Jesus' hands, hands scarred from the nails that held him to the cross in that ultimate display of love and humility. That is worth uniting around, and that is worth telling other people about. Now, we don't have a place like the temple in the way that God's people in the Old Testament did. The temple is gone, and Jesus has gathered all things up into himself. No more temple, no more ritual sacrifice. We have no priests who guard the spiritual treasure. Our praise is for any time, any place, and our worship is to be the offering of our lives and our life together, not just what we sing when we meet which brings us to John 13. As we come to the verses in our reading today, the disciples are gathered there in the room with Jesus. Judas has gone out into the night and left them, and his betrayal forms part of the passion story which leads to the crucifixion and then on to the resurrection. And although in this moment the disciples don't precisely anticipate what is about to happen, there is a tension in the air, Jesus tells them in verse 33 that he will only be with them a little longer and then they will long for him and they will look for him. The story says Jesus has to move on. And Jesus' ministry goes on from here to change the course of all history. He cannot stay with them in this way, not anymore. It's all going to change and he won't be there. And he says to them, a new command I give you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. In washing their feet and eating with them, Jesus had embodied the love of God in ways they could never have imagined. Jesus has given them the supreme example of how to live a life of love and service, and so he says to them that you are to do what I've shown you how to do. And to get this right, it's helpful as we read the stories of Jesus in the Bible to be asking ourselves, 
how is Jesus loving here? And in what way does that inspire or challenge me to love the people that I meet in my life? I guess that's just another way of asking what kind of God and so what? This is our task together, to enter into the story of Jesus and search for ways to live lives that echo that love. And this is how we're going to be such a loving community. This is how people will know that we're Christians. This is to be the defining mark of what it means to be the church. It's to be the primary sign to each other, to the world and to God that we are learning from Jesus, imitating him, following him, being inspired by him. The mission of the church is impossible to separate from the sort of community that we are. And you know, as, we, as I finished preparing for this morning, I had a song going around in my head. In fact, the readings today all inspire a lot of songs. As you, hear, as you went through them, you thought, oh yeah, that song, that song, that song. And in fact, the, reading that's, the song that's been going around in my head is one I'd never sung in church, but it's one that's been on my mind, and it was written in Chicago in the 1960s by a Catholic priest who felt there were no songs to speak to the moment, that moment of history that he and his city were facing. Some of you might know it. I was going to sing it for you, but I'm not going to do that. And, and they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Do you know it? Some of you, enough of you know it? Right, okay, well, you can sing it with me then. So, And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. Okay. I've never sung that in church before. There you go. Which begs the question, is that true? Is that true? Is that what we're known for? Are we the most loving community in our city? Because that's what we should be aspiring to be. Is it what defines followers of Jesus in the minds of those on the outside? It's a challenge, isn't it? I think it's a challenge for a few reasons. I know... So many of you work so hard to show God's love to each other and to our community throughout the week. Through pastoral care and small groups, friendships and connections, ministries like parish nursing and brigades and the food bank and stay and play and Sassy Club and our youth work and all of the things that we do. Offering love and kindness. And in our Why I'm a Christian testimonies, we heard people speak of the difference the kindness and love of the church community here that has made to them. But it's hard to be known for that love when the voice at the wider church, Big C, so often speaks into the world with is one of anger and condemnation and Victorian era moralizing. And so we have to work a bit harder to be a little bit more patient with the world when they don't get it Because so many people in the world anticipate that if we've got anything to say to them, it's going to be shouted at them rather than shared with them. A lot of people are scared of us. Did you know that? They're not scared necessarily of you and me in this moment, but they're scared of the church. And the church has done that. So we've got to work extra hard. We've got to change that narrative. We've got to love each person we meet and turn the proverbial tide. Secondly, it's a challenge because it just isn't easy to do, is it? Loving people. 
Loving people can be hard. And church, friends, let me tell you, is a wonderful place to grow in patience and goodness and kindness and self-control. Because like any group of people, we'll have some we find easier and some we find more challenging. Some who are straight away our cup of tea and others who we have to make a bit more effort with. But it's important that just as we seek to affirm and include all those who are not currently in our church community, it's important that we seek to affirm and include those who are in our church too. And I know, I tell you I know, that there are days when we're struggling and just being here takes every ounce of energy that you've got. I know that. But friends, may I say to you this morning, it's also true that making this happen can't always be somebody else's job. The church will do it. Well, that's you and me. Next time you ever find yourself saying the church, put your name in that place and ask yourself whether you're up for doing it or not. This can't be about providing a good consumer experience where we get what we need without making any contribution to making it the kind of community it needs to be. Our life together is not a religious service that we're providing but instead is a commitment to love and serve each other, which means we all have a part to play. But church is such a glorious thing. And I'll tell you one of the reasons why. Where else would this group of people all be in the same room? Where would it happen? Where else do you so regularly find people who have just been born right the way through to people who are anticipating their telegram from the queen, or the king, sorry. That's going to take a while to... You don't find it anywhere else. There's something special, and we're here together because of Jesus, who by his spirit draws everything and everyone together. It's not perfect, and it won't be until Jesus returns. But in the meantime, we come together, we focus on Jesus, and we do our best to love one another like he showed us how to do. And you know, with a fair wind and the power of the Holy Spirit, people will continue to see something of the goodness of God through what we do and the way we do it. As people made in God's image, we are hardwired for connection and community. And love and belonging are irreducible human needs. So the prayer this morning is that every person in our community might find them here amongst us. And that we may be determined to make that happen. And that it is that mission of sharing God's love that may bind us together each and every day.